everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. Oh my gosh, you guys, this is a really cool podcast episode. Katya goes deep with us. She shares vulnerably about her next coming out chapter that's still in process. And I think that you'll be really touched by her honesty and inspired in, in all different parts of her story of like, what's, what's alive for you right now? What's your next coming out chapter and what, what ways do you need support so that you feel safe enough so that you can come out in your next chapter? Um, yeah, it was just a really beautiful episode and I can't wait for you to listen in. Katya, it's so awesome to have you on the show today. I'm pleased to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you. Well, I just wanted to point out that we're both color coordinated today. We uh, <laughs> we talked a few weeks ago and um, you were color coordinated with some yellow art behind you. And so I thought I better step it up and also color coordinate. And then here you are today with your color coordination. So hopefully people catch this on the YouTube channel as well. So they can see the visual of how cool we look. <laughs> it brings me so much joy. I think, I think there's some sort of, I don't know, is it the predictability or what it is about color coordination, but it just makes me <sighs> exhale with peace when things are in harmony. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like you're in visual design and, and that kind of work, right? I have that kind of background. Yeah. I have background in architecture, but I've moved on from that now. Okay. Well, I'm sure we're going to hear more about that, but why don't you jump in and start telling us your coming out story that you want to share with us today? Sure. Um, I am Bulgarian originally. I currently live in London and I have been for 12-ish years now so it's been a minute um but growing up eastern europe it's not the the most queer friendly environment in the world at all um i think the very positive thing about it is though we we talk about sex when we're young and it's it's not a taboo topic at all but it's they're they're very very strict gender roles and people are expected to kind of fall into certain places um a lot of people kind of feel like after post-communism um you know there is something um, to be said about women working and so on but what what happened was just that women are also expected to have careers um but all the other gender roles are very strict so growing up it didn't kind of even occur to me because also there was so much um, so much of these gender roles kind of perpetuate um, competition and hate between women. We have this one idiom that I, I usually um, describe this with best. Um, and I heard that so much 
uh, growing up. This is one of those little idioms that you hear everywhere. One woman met another snake. Mm -hmm. So how could I possibly imagine being queer if all the rest of the women are snakes? Doesn't make sense. (laughs) Um, So it took me four-ish years of living abroad. Well, no, that's what more, maybe five-ish years of living abroad to kind of be actually, oh no, this is, um, you know, it's actually a thing. And I think my biggest coming out was was to myself to kind of really realize that I was in my mid twenties, which nowadays, you know, the kids nowadays, they <laughs> they come out very early and then this is kind of like, oh, well, well, well ahead, ahead in time. And yeah, I kind of, I've always found women attractive, but you know, so what, they're snakes should stay away from snakes doesn't matter if they look pretty or not mm-hmm. um, and uh, I remember the first time I went I went out on a date with a with a woman it just felt like I could breathe for the first time I think that that came from because of all these gender roles that I've grown up with um, there's something so concrete in my mind about a male female relationship it's not in my conscious mind. It's not something that I, I'm in control of, but when I'm in a male-female relationship, there's just so much expectation of um, the man to be this assertive, big, strong, leading part, and then the woman to be this kind of uh, fragile, beautiful thing next to him. And I've never been that. <laughs> that my personality is just everything <laughs> far away from that and in the relationships that I had with men I just I was tearing myself inside um, mm-hmm. because I felt like I should be something but I very much wasn't and these guys they were all great guys nothing wrong with them I was just going a little bit insane in my head because of all that and I remember I remember going to to that date and it was like a little French restaurant just off of Oxford Street just the dream they had um uh, old wine bottles with candles in them in the tables but like ones that have had many many candles and like the um wax would just make this beautiful almost sculpture in there and I was waiting for a girl named Kate because you know it has to be <laughs> the same letter and it just it just all of a sudden felt like oh I can be whatever the hell I want to be so that was that was kind of the big, big moment for me personally. Mm. Breakthrough. Tell me more about this. So you met Kate at a restaurant, and it was kind of this like aha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it just it was suddenly there was air in the room, and you know, I mean, we dated very briefly, you know, the first relationship, and it was um, cute and sweet, and it was what it was, but. It really, it really showed me that it was possible to be myself when I was in a partnership, which just was shocking and relieving and so many things at the same time. Yes, I totally get that. I remember dating men too and feeling like I had to make myself small and like, don't talk about how you're good with tools or that you could change a tire or things like that. Like you might overstep their manhood and yeah to not have to divide yourself is so healthy Mm. and I felt that I was I was just not being a very nice person with them as well because um you know often different people get attracted to each other and I was kind of 
becoming this nagging person also like trying to get them to be something that they're not entirely mm-hmm. um, maybe entirely projecting a, a, my sense of inadequacy of being me in this situation where I know that I need to be this porcelain figurine over here that um, I'm not mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe a combination of the two yeah yeah that makes sense so then how did that start to trickle out into the rest of your life of coming out to more people? Mm. Um, so I, at the time I was, um, I was playing Quidditch, as you do, um, <laughs> which was great. And it was a very queer community. So that was really great because it was, it was just so welcoming and so nice. And it was the, the best kind of place to, for this to happen. But well, wait, I, what is Quidditch? Okay. Okay. So mm. I know that um, JK uh, Rowling is a bit of a hot topic right now. And uh, our views on her, unfortunately, has changed. But back, back, back in the day when, um, when we didn't feel the way we do now, um, that's sweeping assumptions I'm making here. But anyway, um, Quidditch is the sport that's played in the Harry Potter books. And uh, some fun kids uh, decided to adapt it for, um, for real life. And the really great thing about Quidditch is that there was never talk about gender and gender divisions. There's um, everybody played in it. And this is how it was played. Um, it is played currently as well in the real world. Um, there's a whole like uh, international Quidditch association and there's a world cup and everything. Um, it's become much, much more professional recently. I've, I've left the field now, uh, but I played for a few years and the best thing was that it was open to all genders. This is how I learned what a non-binary person was. Um, I started meeting trans people for the first time because of Quidditch. And that was really wonderful because um, especially with sports, trans people uh, meet a lot of challenges and it's very, it's very heartbreaking how, you know, there's no space where they feel mm-hmm. welcome. So in Quidditch, um, it was it was all great. And it's a sport that's essentially like a mix of dodgeball and rugby. Um, but you mm-hmm. kind of have to keep a stick between your legs at all time. <laughs> it's great. It's just, it's great. It's really good. <laughs> um, but that, that was what really helped me was that kind of community and, and everyone around that. And even though I haven't played for maybe five or six years now, some of my closest friends come from, from this, um, this community. So it was really great. Mm. Um, but obviously not everything in my life was Quidditch. Um, again, I was professionally, I was living in London, I was working in London, that wasn't a thing at all. But um, back home, I'm still very much uh, not comfortable being myself. I've come out to everyone who's willing to hear. <laughs> but not everybody is. Um, And it's all right because I moved for the first time when I was 19. I've been several different people since. Um, And the people that I care about have, uh, you know, come to terms and were open from the get-go or not. But the kind of the most challenging part was my dad. Mm. And I think that that has to do with the fact that um, I look so much like him um he always jokes about even if your mother tries to tell me you're not my children I know you are because and if 
really, if you see photos of us side by side in the same age, we look like twin siblings. Mm. Um, and I think that just really kind of, he took it, he took it hard growing up as well. The worst, the most offensive thing he would call someone would be to call them gay with you know, some slur words that, that he used. That would be the worst thing. Um, and I've never shied away. I've, I've always been a very kind of direct person. And when I started dating Kate, actually, uh, from the get-go, from the first one, uh, I went back home and I was like, we've got to have a chat. <laughs> and I actually took him to a restaurant. <laughs> Everything happens in a restaurant. <laughs> There's some sort of, um, I think, neutral grounds. I wanted, yeah. I wanted him to be outside of home. Like I, I didn't want him to, you know, go into that, in my house kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and he was in London at the time no no no. I was in Bulgaria okay Uh, I I, I went back for a summer holiday or something like that and we sat down and I just very kind of calmly started telling him how I'm dating this girl and how I'm not sure what's going on but I'm definitely not straight and we've always been close and open with each other so I want him to know and we have that that's the thing with, with him we, i've never had this kind of scared relationship with my dad i've never been scared of him like we've had very open conversations we fight honestly like equals um and we always have so i kind of i was just like you're my dad you want to be close i want to be close this is what's happening and he just he wouldn't say anything he's like i don't want to talk about this I was like, okay, but I'm telling you, so it would be nice if you have a reaction of some sort. He was like, nope, this doesn't, it doesn't exist for me. (laughs) And he just refused to have any sort of conversation. And I think a couple of days afterwards when I was flying off and he drove me to the, um, to the airport in the most dramatic way, just as I was, uh, you know, getting, to that little barrier where you can't cross if you don't have a boarding pass. Uh, he was just like, I'm just going to choose to believe that you're going to end up with a stable guy. And he left. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> just all the drama, all the drama. <laughs> but it, it was it was not great at first. And we, we talked to each other much more and he would text me and like send me fun rhyming messages and things like that. And he just stopped. He didn't, he didn't confront the issue or anything. It was just a block. And my mom would tell me that he had asked about me and like he kind of kept tab- tabs on what's going on via my conversations with mom, but he just stopped calling me altogether. And that wasn't, it wasn't great. I kind of felt, you know, I just need to give him a, a, a moment. He's an intelligent person. And I, the one thing I never doubted was that he loves me. Mm. And I, I kept thinking, and I, I think I told him a couple of times that I know that he loves me more than he hates people he doesn't know. Because that's, that's the, the other thing with a lot of cases of homophobia and in his particular case, his his issues with racism is because of lack of exposure. He he, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know anyone else who's queer. He hasn't known anyone else who's queer in his life. So 
there's no way for him to know that that's okay, I think. Mm -hmm. And that lasted about a year and a half. And I, I decided to stop going home because it didn't feel comfortable together and I could just fly mom over and um, enjoy time with her this way. Um, but then sadly she got quite sick and I started going home quite, quite frequently. At one point I was flying practically every weekend, which was lots of fun. How long of a flight is that? Uh, three hours. It's not, okay. it's not that bad, but it's, you know, combined with the two hours before in the airport and getting mm -hmm. to the airport and so on, it's just a yeah. hassle. Um, I mean, I know in the, in the Americas, this means nothing, but this is literally the two ends of Europe. Right. It's a big deal for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, put it in perspective for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot for us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, and when that happened, I took him out again in another restaurant. <laughs> um, and I was like, listen, you, this is this is going to be tough. We have a few years of fighting ahead of us, most probably. And like, this is not easy for me. And at the time I had a partner, I actually had a fiance at the time. Um, and I needed the support and I told him, listen, I, I, I need her to be here with me to be able to deal with this and you need to behave because otherwise we're going to start staying in hotels and then mom's going to get more stressed about what's going on. And that's the last thing she needs. And he did. Mm -hmm. He genuinely, he evolved so much in the last five or six years. You know, I'm sure it wasn't easy for him, but Compared to the sort of attitude he had when I was a teenager, he's just gone leaps and bounds. Mm. You know, we, we started going more often and I never drive. Um, I can't drive. That's another, another reason I can't, I can't deal with, with the Americas. Um, <laughs> and uh, Shaz would drive around and they would drive together sometimes. And my dad doesn't really speak English. It's a lot of hand gestures and yeses and nos and thank yous. Kind of thing but they kind of dealt together mm. and they would just make make jokes together and stuff like that so it he just kind of managed to to get over it somehow and it it really meant a lot mm -hmm. that's really incredible mm. i'm happy to hear that because i think a, a lot of times when people come out that's their biggest fear is that they'll be you know like cut off from their parents in some way and then a lot of people that does happen but then to not be stuck in that moment where you're cut off but to be able to see this longer arc of yes it happened for a while but it's not always like that and you've been able to have growth between you and that's really beautiful it's really hopeful to share with people yeah I think I think it was it was quite fortunate and you know, the stories we kind of hear are usually extremities, right? Either the most supportive parents in the world or the worst people ever. Mm -hmm. But the majority are always going to be in the middle of the bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just kind of need them a little, need to give them a little bit more time. And it's, you know, everybody has expectations from their parents and, and wants and needs. And it's great if they could be fulfilled, but they can't always. And then if we if we kind of address it as as two equal adults i think there is more there's more space for growth mm -hmm. yeah 
yeah give each other the benefit of the doubt give space for people to grow and change trust Mm -hmm. trust Mm -hmm. that there's love like that's really big that you were able to always trust that he was loving you through that all I think I mean us being so close before that um really made a difference I'm the youngest of three and both of my uh sisters are quite a bit older than me eight and ten years older and I think we just had different parents that's the inevitable thing that happens and I can see I've seen their relationships with my parents and they're very different and they're very much more classic parent child relationships but I've always been quite I don't know forward with them and I've applied the policy of like giving them too much information so they're just a bit overwhelmed and they don't ask me questions that I don't want to answer (laughs) so so that helped I think (laughs) this episode was brought to you by centered life coaching and I've got a special new offering I'm excited to share with you Does life feel a little bit crazy right now? There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of noise. It's hard to hear yourself. I got you. Join me on the front porch, away from the hustle of life. Sit down, take a breath, share what's on your mind and heart. This is where you'll discover your true self. Come and hear yourself into being. You'll be astounded at what you notice. There's a link for the front porch sessions in the show notes, or you can sign up at centered.ca. I'm waiting on the front porch for you. Are you coming? So, like, what's what's now? Like, what's on your coming out radar now as you evolve and change and inevitably grow? Hmm there's something and um, there's something I've been I've been sort of dealing with in the last year or so that I don't know if I'll ever be able to come out with it <sighs> um, I have a, a I have a thing called polycystic ovarian syndrome and that causes various various different things um, Really, if you go and read on about this particular condition, it really sounds more like there's several different conditions and they group them all together like this because it's something with the lady parts that we don't get <laughs> and we don't really care about because people don't die straight away from it. Um, in my particular case, it, uh, I'm not ovulating um, and uh, there's other aspects, but hair growth it has been has been very challenging and I've uh, started growing a beard. Okay. Uh, a full-on beard. And during the pandemic, it's been a little bit easier to deal with that because uh, Zoom could be forgiving, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, and if I'm staying at home quite a while, it's fine. And then I found I really enjoyed wearing masks because they cover half right. my head. That's fine. Um, but also in this last year, things have gotten worse and worse for me. And... I just really wish I could grow up my beard. I, it, it's one of the most painful, annoying things in the world. I, so I have to wax my face at least once, not twice a week. 
Um, and it's it's getting worse. It's getting progressively worse and it's gonna uh, get worse. It, shaving is not an option for me because it makes it worse quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also kind of explored other hair removal methods and none of them seems to give a, a decent result compared to the time investment in them. And I, I ha- I've, I've been having a monthly breakdown over it every once in a while. It's just because it's really painful and I'm getting ready to go out or do something fun and I need to get on with it and and start doing that whole thing. And it's just so infuriating and it starts getting grown hairs and things and it's just awful. And I, there's a couple women online that uh, have the similar condition and they've just grown out their beards. There's... Um, I've forgotten her name. It's a Sikh, Sikh woman. Um, yeah. BBC I think I've seen her. her. Yeah. yeah. And she just has this gorgeous beard and she wears a turban and her eyeliner is always on fleek and she looks amazing. And I just, I wish I had the ovaries to do that. <laughs> I really do. And maybe I will at one point. I'm not that, I'm not that concerned about my professional life. I think it's fine because I know how to carry myself and I know what I'm doing and how I sound. And I think I can handle that professionally. But the big thing for me is that I'm currently single and I just can't imagine being able to lead my personal life the way I want to, knowing that I'm so off kilter. I'm already fat. I'm already not entirely white. I'm already foreign. It's just one other thing. And it's been something that I've been thinking about. I've been talking to people. I I was really kind of hoping to get more of my queer friends to kind of support that. But actually a lot of people have been like, like, if you do that, you're going to go under a lot of fire. It's going to be very difficult. And, And more people than I expected have been quite, you know, don't do it. Definitely don't do it. So it, just talking about it has been a bit of a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Maybe one day, maybe one day I'll, I'll show up with beautifully manicured gold tea <laughs> and uh, we'll feel great about it, but I'm, I'm not there yet. Yeah. What do you think you would need to get there? <sighs> Enough of a support system that supports it, I think maybe an intimate partner or partners that that support it a little bit more it just it's something that feels very lonely and it feels wrong it feels wrong because you know i've sort of i've been fighting to prove i'm I'm feminine enough my entire life and now a beard is just not helpful in that department (laughs) just not really the right tool So I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting how we we have certain rules that we're okay to break from childhood of like loving a woman, but then not looking womanly enough is a, a rule that just feels too hard to break mm-hmm. right now. That goes back to my my Bulgarian upbringing, I think, because you know, women are sexist in Bulgaria. Women police each other very very harshly at that you know I was I was nine years old nine years old 
when my sisters pinned me to the living room floor to wax my armpits for the first time. Mm. And I don't blame them. They didn't know any better. They were still kids as well. They really wanted to help, but it was freaking terrifying. Yeah. So it's a lot tied up in this then. A lot of memories mm. and connections. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah. Maybe one day. Mm. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's really real and alive for you right now. And it is. It is. Can you, can you see anything? Well, that was the reason because um, today the, the meeting that we had set up, um, we had a little bit of a misunderstanding about the time and I actually had the time when, when you called, but um, I wasn't prepared. Yeah. I hadn't removed enough of the beard okay. to feel comfortable. So I had to do something. Yeah. No, I can't tell anything. It looks very smooth. Your chin. Good. Good. I managed to do that. Yeah. Did you know that Zoom has a feature that you can add a beard? There's ads. Yeah. I I did this recently so that you could see like what it would look like, like kind of play with having the quad. Is it real or is it like animated? It's like animated on Zoom. It's just a filter that it will put on for you so that you can see. Okay. I don't know if I'm ready. Do you want me to show you mine? Yeah, go on. <laughs> okay. I looked it up the other day and it. <clears throat> I showed my wife and she's like, man, you look pretty hot like that. Well, I could borrow your wife for a minute if that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Have somebody that's supportive like that. It would be so nice. Ah, where did it go? Uh, way back when, when I had an undercut like you. I did a collaboration with an artist and we did half and half face. So my shaved side was male makeup, like male drag. And this was feminine and we did everything. And I, I can't look at these photos. They just, they're too real. I look like a real boy. (laughs) It's too hard. Oh, wow. Right. Oh, it's not that animated. It looks quite realistic. It does look quite realistic. And I think you can play with like how much comes on or not mm. and eyebrows and all that stuff. So, you mm. know, like just play with it a little bit and see what you think and see how you feel about you with beard. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I think I need I need a little bit more time with that. Fair. Yeah. It's all about you having your timing. Mm. And having the support that you need. Because I think that's that's key for any coming out story, right? Is feeling safe enough. And is there somewhere soft to land with all of this? Yeah. Yeah. Just at least one place soft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really valid. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Thank you for sharing your stories with us today. It's been so beautiful to get to know you a little bit better and I know that so many people are going to hear themselves in your story and that you're going to inspire so many. Thank you so much for listening. It's joy talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.